Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we're wrapping up our Advent series from the book of Matthew. As Pastor Rob brings us a message as we consider how do we move forward with this good news of the birth of the Son of God. Now, let's head over to Pastor Rob. Good morning. I, 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 got, I have to admit, uh, there's way more of you here today than I thought there was going to be. I'm, honestly, I, I talked to Jared a while back, and I'm like, can't we just do this one virtually? No one's going to be there. But there's like, there's like a few hundred of you here, which is awesome. So props to you guys for on a really busy week and a day after Christmas showing up at church. Appreciate it. Thanks for keeping me company. Otherwise, I thought I was just going to be preaching to Tim, and Tim does not need to hear me preach. So, um, let's see. Uh, I want to start, before I jump into the message, I'm going to take a minute. Um, we have been talking a lot over, uh, well, you guys know, it's been a really tumultuous couple of years, right, for the whole world, and uh, it has been no different for us in the church. And um, we have, <clears throat> over the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of people come and we've seen a lot of people go. Um, and as we continue to rebuild our congregation around the mission of helping people find their way back to God, a lot, have, a lot of you have really stepped up to support, uh, to support the church through your prayers and through your service and through your financial gifts. And so I just want to take a minute to say thank you so much uh, for doing that. Because what, what happens when you do that is that the world is impacted with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the whole point, Right. So we really, really appreciate um, everybody that has stepped up and supported us over this past couple of years. Um, this is the last year of the, or the last week of the calendar year. And so um, if you are feeling moved to, to continue to donate financially, uh, this is a great week to do it. And if you want to do that, you can do that online. You can do that through the Church Center app, or you can do that if you're a cash or check kind of person. We have giving boxes at each entrance door. And you can feel free to drop a gift in there if you feel so moved. So, but again, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We have really felt um, supported and, and loved through this time. So, Now, I have a question. How was everybody's Christmas? Was it good? Who got everything they wanted? Who got everything on their list? I got more than what I had on my list because I didn't actually make a list. And I got in trouble for that because I didn't give anybody any guidance but I didn't really care. I just, I just wanted to live in the moment. And my, um, my Christmas was great. Our three girls, none of which live in the house anymore, all came home. And they spent the last week in our house with us. And so we went from a really, really quiet house to a not quite as quiet house. And, uh, and, but it, spent, it was great just to spend the day with them. And my girls, all three of them, like their favorite thing to do is not just get gifts, but they love to give gifts. And so it's fun to be with them on Christmas because they're just so excited to give you a gift and to give each other gifts. And there's that sense of like, I don't know, just they really care for each other and care for us. And so that, it, that was great. Um, if, you have, if you're visiting with us, I think we have a couple of visitors probably. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're new in the last six months, you might think, why is the bass player preaching today? Because that's really what I've been doing mostly for the last few months. Um, I do play bass. I love to play bass. I love to be a part of the worship team, but I also do get to, uh, to bring the message every once in a while. So, and um, yeah, so I'm excited to do that today. 
A couple of disclaimers. Uh, last night, as I went to assemble all my slides, all the scripture that will be behind or would be would have been behind me today, um, I realized that uh, my version of ProPresenter, which is the the software we use, is uh, a version behind, and I can't even access or do anything with the slides. And so, instead of making Jared work on Christmas, I said, "Forget it." So. We're going to go old school. Hope you have a Bible. If you don't, quick download a Bible app if you want to follow along. We've got a little bit of time before we jump in. Hurry up. Um, but anyway, and I'll be reading it to you so you can, you can just soak it in um, that way as well. And then the other disclaimer is this. I'm at the age where I have not yet gotten transition lenses for my glasses, you know, for the two, so I can see out and down, right? I haven't done that, but I'm beyond the point of needing it. So I may be doing this every now and then, and so hopefully that won't bother you, but um, if, I, if I wear my glasses, I can see your faces, which is great for me, but I can't really read this very well, which is not great for you, <laughs> and vice versa, right? If I take them off, then you're going to hear a... a a comprehensive message, but you all look like blurry, just blurs, really. So, and that's no fun for me. So, anyway, if I'm doing a little bit of that, I apologize. Um, just be patient with me, please, as I age not so gracefully. Um, so, today we are going to continue in our series on Matthew, and um, this is the first, uh, the first of the four Gospels found in the New Testament. And this series is going to be the longest we've ever embarked upon in Harvard Churches. We're actually going to be doing about 55 weeks, so we'll probably be wrapping up about this time next year, right? So we're going to, we're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew, and we're going to try to go pretty much step by step through the book. Um, one thing that's important to remember um, about the book of Matthew, and we'll keep pointing this out, I'm sure, is who is Matthew specifically writing to? In fact, it's almost always helpful when reading the Bible to know who the intended audience, original intended audience was. Um, the book of Matthew was not written with, with the purpose of being pressed against a couple other gospels and a bunch of other books and put in the Bible that we know today, right? It was a, it was a message from a, a, an author to a people, a specific people. And for Matthew... That specific people was the, the Israelites, right? The Jewish people. He was writing to them. And that doesn't mean that we can't read the book of Matthew and gain wisdom and knowledge and insight, uh, but it does mean that we will gain even more insight if we understand who the intended audience was in the first place. Um, the Jewish people had been waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah, Right? That isn't necessarily a, a non-Jewish thing. It's a Jewish thing. And so they're waiting for a Messiah. So Matthew's purpose, his primary purpose in writing this, this account of Jesus' life is to tell them that the Messiah has come, and it's Jesus. It's this person. If we compare Matthew to the book of Luke, Luke is writing to a specifically non-Jewish or a Gentile audience. And so the things that he's going to highlight versus the things that Matthew highlights are going to be totally different things. Um, one of the things that you'll see a lot when we read through Matthew is that he's going to refer back to the Hebrew scriptures all the time. 
because that's their frame of reference, right? That's what they've been, they've been waiting for Messiah. So this, it's the Hebrew scriptures that has, has foretold that. And so he'll continue to jump back and, and reference those and point out moments where he says, see, this is that prophecy that now is, it, it's happening. It's, it's, it's coming alive right before our eyes. Um, and this is also why at the very beginning of the book of Matthew, he focuses on the line of David, I don't know if you were here for the first week when uh, Tierra got to preach her favorite message of the year on the genealogy of Jesus. Um, bunch of names, all you know, from way, way back to right here today. But the whole point of that, the whole point of starting that way was to point out that, hey, this person we've been waiting for is here. The Messiah has come. Does that make sense? Okay. So then over the past couple weeks, we've talked just about a couple different things. Here's what we've covered. We've covered the genealogy thoroughly. Well done. Thank you. We've covered the birth of Christ. We've covered the, the Magi. And then a couple days ago on Christmas Eve, uh, Tim talked about uh, the story of how Jesus' family flees to Egypt to save, to save Jesus' life, essentially. King Herod, finding like who does know his Hebrew scripture, by the way, knows that someone has been born... And people are taking note, and in his own fear and paranoia, he decides to hunt down that child, and he does so by hunting down every uh, boy, two years old or younger, right? And so that's kind of where that's kind of where we are in the story. Um, today, we're going to move into uh, Matthew three. And you're going to see some of the things that I just said. You're going to see Matthew refer back to Hebrew scripture to point out that these things are happening. You're going to see, um, um, you're going to see some new characters pop up sort of suddenly. Um, but the interesting thing is we went from Jesus being a baby at the end of the last chapter to Jesus showing up on the scene as a full-grown adult, right? So there's a gap in time that happens here. And Matthew is going to continue to assume, as he writes, that his audience has context for all this stuff. All right, we'll see it right at the very beginning of this next chapter. Um, he's going to jump into the uh, jump into his subject with confidence that the people that are reading his account of Jesus' life have a bunch of context. They understand what's going on. So he'll he'll skip over a bunch of details, and he just sometimes he just kind of plops things in front of people just thinking, hey, you know, you're going to know what I'm talking about. It's like if I was having a conversation with one of our other staff people and I said something like, hey, remember last week when Jared was changing his guitar strings? I wouldn't have to explain who Jared was or where we were. They would just know because they know the context. So Matthew writes sort of like that. So we're going to jump in. And in Matthew 3, we're going to start at verse 1. Um, we're we're going to be John the Baptist right off the bat. So let's go ahead and jump in here. We'll read a few verses, and then we'll back up and talk about it. So verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So see right away, second verse and, and Matthew's already done it. He's already jumped back to Isaiah and said, hey, remember what Isaiah said? This is that guy. This is who Isaiah was talking about. And it goes on. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. 
People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So in Matthew, this is all the introduction that we get for John before, before action begins to happen. This is it. Hey, in those days, John the Baptist came and he was preaching in the wilderness. So you can see that the intended audience uh, is important here, right? Uh, people who were not from Israel, people who were not first century Jews, would have no context for John the Baptist. A Gentile would have no context for John the Baptist. So for a minute, I want to visit another gospel so that we have a little bit of context for John the Baptist. Let's just pretend we've never heard this story before, and maybe you haven't, but let's Let's go, to, um, let's go to the book of Luke, and we're going to read in Luke 1, and get a little context for who John the Baptist is. So Luke 1, we uh, are reading a story of Zechariah. He's an aging, childless priest, and he's working at the temple. I'm going to start at verse 8 and read just a, a few verses here to give us some idea of John the Baptist's background. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay, so now we're getting somewhere with John. Now we know his purpose, right? To prepare people for the Lord. We also read in this chapter that um, later Mary, Jesus' mom, visits John's mom when they're both pregnant. And when Mary greets Elizabeth, John the baby like leaps in her womb, right? At, just at Mary's voice. I don't know what that feels like. I don't imagine that was very comfortable. But Elizabeth takes that as a sign that the baby in Mary's womb is the Lord. And she immediately says that, that you are carrying the Lord. So now if we return to Matthew 3, we have a little bit of context for John, right? We know that Mary and Elizabeth are related. So John and Jesus probably know each other, right? This is not the first time that they have probably met And it's been revealed to John's father that he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit his whole life, even before he's born, and he's going to go on before the Lord in spirit and power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So now we know, now we have a setting. John is doing what he was born to do. He's preparing people for the Lord's coming. And if you're in Israel and you're reading Matthew's book, you would probably already know all of this. But those of us, like I said, who are not Jewish, who are not first century Jews, Gentiles outside of that faith would not know that. So that's why we get that explanation. 
Otherwise, John would seem like a fairly random, strange man eating locusts that we don't have any idea who he is. So when we find John, we find him preaching and baptizing. And the question is, what is John preaching? What is he preaching? The text says he's calling people to repentance. And I want to talk a little bit about that idea, about what John is calling people to. His intent is to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, in which Matthew is going to make clear in a couple of verses that the coming of the Lord is the coming of Jesus. So why repentance? Why, why, why is repentance important? What does that word mean? What does repent mean? Does anybody have like a one word definition of repent or two? You could say it out loud. Turn around, right. Right, turn around. That's one thing that we think of when we think about repenting. Confessing is another thing we think of when repenting, right? Um, so Wikipedia, the source of all knowledge and wisdom in our time, uh, defines repentance this way. I actually really like the way they define it, so that's why I'm going to use it. Um, don't trust them for everything, but sometimes they're spot on. So this is repentance in Wikipedia. Reviewing one's actions and feeling contrition or regret for past wrongs, which is accompanied by commitment to and actual actions that show and prove a change for the better. So it's, it's, it's feeling contrition or regret, but it's accompanied by a commitment to and actual actions that show a change. John is doing the work to help people see that what they're doing, the way that they're living their lives, is not conducive to their hearts being prepared for the coming of the Lord, right? A change has to occur. Jesus is going to bring along a pretty radical example to follow. And these folks are just not ready for it yet. In order for people to really see who Jesus is and to know who he is, they need to make some changes. And these changes are going to involve their their hearts and their minds, but also their bodies, how they exist in the world, how they live, what they do. In other words, it's not just, it's not a repentance of words only, right? It's a, it's a repentance in how we're living our lives. I think sometimes, you know, we see, we see things like confession and repentance as, I, I don't know, when I was growing up, there was always that thing of like, you know, party on Friday, go to church on Sunday and everything's gonna be cool, right? This whole like, it's just a do-over, um, but we don't, we just do it over and over again and we do the same thing and we never really see substantial change in our lives, right? Because we've boiled, I think, repentance down to this sort of transactional thing. If I just do that, then I'm, then I'm forgiven for doing that and I can keep doing that forever, right? But John's calling people to turn and to change who they are and how they live in order to recognize the Messiah, the Christ, when he comes. It isn't just what the people know or even what they believe that's important. It's how what they know and what they believe informs the way that they live their lives. And they should be living their lives in a way that shows that they're anticipating the coming of the Lord. That hasn't really changed that much, actually. It's kind of the role of the church, right? We're supposed to be living in a way that anticipates the coming of the Lord. There's a moment in my life 
that helps me sort of understand this in a, in a real-life perspective. And so I'm going to share part of my story, and it's not because I'm pointing to myself, because when you hear this story, you realize it's really not about anything I did. It's 100% about what God has done in my life. But I grew up, uh, like a lot of you perhaps, spending a lot of time in church. I, um, my parents were both really, really involved. My grandparents were really involved. Um, I grew up going to Sunday morning church, and then Sunday school, and then Sunday evening church, and then there was catechism sometimes during the week when we got older, and there were choirs to sing in, and there was just something always going on, and we were always at church. And I, um, I didn't go to Christian school, but I gave my Christian school friends at church a run for their money with scripture memorization. Like, I was into it. I memorized all the the scripture, right? Everything that we were told to do, and I loved it. I I got into it, and I had, to this day, I'll remember things that I don't remember where I learned them. It just, scripture will just sort of pop up sometimes, and I'm like, oh, that's probably from fourth grade. Who knows? Um, and I was pretty committed to trying to live a life uh, that, in a way that seemed proper for a church kid. You know, I did all the things. I tried really hard to, to behave <laughs> and be a good kid. And, uh, but when I got to college, college was the time when I really started wondering, what in the world is all this about? Like, what, what is this all about? And part of that was that I, I was away, and so I wasn't home. And I would come home sometimes, and I would go to church with my parents when I did that. But maybe I was going to church for an hour or two a month, um, and all of that structure that I'd had had fallen away, and I really started to wonder, like, what's the point of knowing all the stuff? What's the purpose? Like, why did I learn all that? It can't just be for me to show up a couple hours a month at church. Like, that just seemed completely pointless to me. And then one day I was sitting in my apartment and I was listening to uh, a CD and Chelsea informed me that I should let people know there are people in here that are younger than 15. This is a CD. This is called a compact disc. This is where music, we used to get our music from. And it, you would put this in a player and it would play music. And um, anyway, I was sitting there listening to this, C, uh, this CD. It was a Stephen Curtis Chapman CD. This is Pink Floyd. Um, it's a little different. Uh, and I was, it was this, this album called For the Sake of the Call. And sometimes, kids, sometimes with your CD, you got really cool liner notes. There's all sorts of stuff in here. There's like the lyrics to the songs and the credits for who did all the work. But sometimes you'd also get like messages from the artist like they would write. To, and that was the case. Stephen Chris Shepard had written this thing at the beginning, basically saying, this is why I wrote this album. And he was pointing out the fact that when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't call them and promise them like fame and fortune. Like, why did these guys follow Jesus? Because he said, follow me. That was it. Like, that, they just followed him. And I knew in that moment, this is when my, my friend Mike, who was my roommate at the time, this is my friend Mike told me, this is when God hit me in the head with a two by four. Like, I was just waiting there. I had no idea. And God just said, all right, time to go. And I, I suddenly realized that I needed to do that. I needed to follow Jesus. And friends, I had no idea what that meant because that is not language that my parents used or my church used. Nobody used that kind of follow Jesus language. But I knew somewhere in that moment, I knew that I had to do something. And I committed myself in that moment to do the next thing, 
whatever the next thing was. I'm like, I don't know what following Jesus is, but I'm just gonna try the next thing. And maybe it won't work, but then I'll try the next thing. Well, the next thing happened to be my roommate Mike going to Young Life Club to be a leader, and I just said, hey, I'm gonna go with you. And then I kept going, and I went for 21 years to Young Life. And I found that God had actually given me all that stuff that I had learned, I could actually put that to use, and I could tell people about it. And it was amazing. It wasn't what I believed. It wasn't just what I believed that was important. It is what I, it was important what I believed, but it wasn't just what I believed. It's what I did in response to what I believe that's important. So I think that's what John's calling people to. What do you believe? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do in response to that? So I want to go back to Matthew because now we're going to meet some people, <laughs> some people that uh, John has, uh, he's got some harsh words for him. Um, we're going to meet uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and these guys are the sort of religious and political leaders of their day. So let's jump back into the text. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God could raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit, he will cut down and throw into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Some pretty strong words. I have a feeling John thinks that they're the chaff, <laughs> Right? These are the ones, these are the people that they enforce the laws of the Torah, right? They're the ones, that, they're the watchers over behavior and actions. And um, these people are pretty ruthless. When Jesus begins his ministry, they're going to come back time and time and time again. And they're going to try to discredit him. And they're going to try to trick him into saying something that they can use against him. Jesus, of course, proves to be way too smart for these people. Um, and later in this series in Matthew, I, I don't know, probably be next summer sometime, we're going to get to Matthew 23, and you're going to hear similar language to this, right? Um, strong words that Jesus has for this group of people. You brood of vipers. But these people are deadly. They're deadly, and they're venomous, and they're, you know, the idea of the, even using viper, right, the snake language, Nobody likes being called a snake. It even gives us that image right back to the Garden of Eden, the lying, deceitful, destroying snake. And John lets them know that their way of living is going to lead to their destruction. I mean, these are religious but unrepentant people who are enforcing the laws in these burdensome and really brutal ways. They're the people that get to decide, if you commit that sin, then we're going to kill you with stones. Those kind of people. The verse that I that I kept coming kind of out to me in that part of the passage is um, 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He's calling them to the same thing that he's calling all the other people to. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Again, it's action language, right? Just believing something doesn't produce fruit. It's with the action of our lives that we produce fruit. I wasn't producing fruit sitting in my apartment wondering about what faith was for. I, was, I didn't begin producing fruit until I actually got up and left and went and did something. So John's words both rebuke the actions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they instruct them on what they need to do, right? How they should leave, how they should live. Even the religious elite um, of their time are in need of repentance. And the next part of the, of the story is such a, like, a completely different image of what we just saw. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replies, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice, of he- a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus the incarnate embodiment of God comes to be baptized? Jesus didn't need to be baptized, right? I mean, of all the people on the planet, if there's one person that doesn't need to be baptized for repentance sake, it's Jesus. John even tries to deter him, right? John just said, hey, this guy's coming along. He's more powerful than me. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. And then can you imagine how he felt Jesus coming up to him and saying, Submitting to John's baptism. Why? I think there's a couple reasons. First, I think Jesus is setting an example of how to live, right? We talk about it when we talk about Christmas, we talk about how God humbled himself and became a child. Jesus has already done that, and now he again, in this moment, humbles himself to be baptized by John. Jesus lives his whole life with this kind of humility, right? Always placing importance on other people. And in this act of submission, I think he becomes an example for us of, of how to live with humility. It's an example of how his ministry is going to look, right? Always searching for the lost, the sick, the shunned, the outcast, always forgiving, healing, feeding, teaching. It's a life and a ministry of humility that Jesus lives. And I also think that this moment is, is one other thing. I think it's for Jesus and those around him, this is a confirmation of who Jesus is, right? And the ministry that he's about to begin. It's a unique moment where all three persons of God are present, right? As the Son, the incarnate God, comes out of the water, the Spirit of God comes down from heaven and alights on him. And then the voice of the Father, this is my Son, whom I love. 
With him I am well pleased. One other thing that I love about this passage is this. Jesus has not yet begun his ministry. Right? Before he begins his ministry, before he has healed one person, before he has fed one multitude, before he has calmed one storm or any of the other things that he does, the Father is already well pleased with him. For those of you who have been around South Harbor for a while, you know that um, this language is, is quite familiar. Every couple of months, we baptize a whole bunch of babies. We've been doing, I don't know, we've been doing a lot lately. We've had a lot of babies. And when we do that, we get to speak these words to the babies and their parents. That God loves you even though you don't understand it anymore. You're too young to even know. We love because God first loved us. We baptize babies into the promise that God already loves them. And then we pray, right? Always pray that they live the lives, their lives in response to that love of God. That they would be peacemakers and healers and reconcilers in the world. But that their identity isn't in what they do. It's in the fact that they are loved by God. So for me, at least, this passage is a reminder that I cannot earn God's love because I already have it. That comes to me freely from God who made me and knows me better than I know myself. But I am called, <clears throat> I am called to live my life in response to that love. I'm called to humility. I'm called to be a peacemaker. I'm called to reconcile and to heal when and where I can. And I'm called to bear fruit for God's kingdom through how I live my life and what I do with my life. And my prayer for the church, not just this church, but the whole Christian church, my prayer for the Christian church is that we would be that in the world. I don't, I don't know if we are all the time, right? Sometimes I don't think we are. But sometimes, sometimes we are. And I want us to be that for the world. We can't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, piling religious burdens on the world and each other until we become hypocrites and not even listening to our own words. We need to repent and humble ourselves to follow Jesus and his example of how to live. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for you sending your son into the world. We're thankful for the relationship that we can now have with you because of the work that he did in the world and on the cross. And we're thankful for an example of how to live our lives, of how to care for people, of how to love people how to love them so much that we give up our own lives so that they can know who you are. I pray that we would be a people known for humility and love and peacemaking and reconciliation. Pray that the church would be seen that way in the world. And we are the church. So I pray that each of us lives a life in that manner. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As we've said so many times before, we just want to say thanks for spending a little time with us. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web at www.southharbor.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sundays at 10 a.m., you can find our services streamed live on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor Church and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.